namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa bhutang dhammang sankhang namasami so our first 24 hours together that's nice to sit with a group of meditators who are quite still and diligent. A bit of theory, maybe. Just to help. I find myself defining dukkha quite often on retreats. It's a good way to enter into some of the central ideas of the teaching. So, you've heard this before, maybe, but just to go through it with you, the word dukkha, which is usually translated as suffering, is used in three contexts. One is uh, dukkha satcha, which is satcha means truth. So in the Four Noble Truths, there's the noble truth of suffering. And that's very much about our kind of conflict we have with life, with ourselves, the kind of mental experience of suffering, the, the, the sense of not belonging or sense of lack or... Uh, strong emotions and such like. So that's dukkha satya. And then the Four Noble Truths is there is the Noble Truth of Suffering. Uh, that suffering has to be understood and has been understood. So it's a, it's something we have to study. Then uh, dukkha vedana. Vedana is the word for apperception, I think. Or feeling is usually what it's translated as. But it's it's not... It's just the sense of uh, something which is unpleasant or unpleasant, uh, pleasant or unpleasant, in degrees, of course, and the neutrality in between. So it's the feeling of, uh, it's the tone of each experience that has a sense of you're being drawn to it because it's pleasant, or you're being repelled by it because it's unpleasant. In all, in Buddhism, we say all sense experience has vedana in it. Even if it's not noticeable, even if it's very neutral, it's still that neutrality is vedana. So when I, uh, after about half an hour, my knees, my my ankle started to hurt. So that's dukkha vedana. Uh, then I shift my posture, and that's sukha vedana. So that's one. So it's, there, the word dukkha refers to unpleasant, unpleasant, and then you have. Dukkha Lakana. Lakana is characteristic. And this is where you have the teachings around Anicca Dukkha Anatta. Uh, Anicca being impermanence, Dukkha being unsatisfactoriness, maybe, and Anatta being not having an essential essence or self. So the Lakana is, is a sort of brilliant summation of all sense experience. It has these three characteristics. It's quite brilliant when it comes up with a, a triad of ideas that point to everything we experience. And so everything we experience is called sankaras. So that I mentioned before. So sankaras are things which are determined by other things and they in turn, they in turn determine further things. So I have a nice fluffy red coat, 
fluffy red coat is determined by the manufacturer, by the good people who uh, purchased it for me. And the coat in turn allows me to go out into temperatures of minus 25 and feel quite comfortable. So the coat is uh, Sankara, or it's Sankata, it's compounded. The feelings uh, and emotions and memories I have of pilgrimage is Sankara, and it's determined by me having been there, and it in turn will determine things like moods and the way my thoughts form and the narratives around that. Body is a sankara, a chair is a sankara, the weather is a sankara, a group is a sankara, and so on and so forth. So what the the way the the teaching is misunderstood oftentimes by people is you get this statement that everything is suffering. And what that's pointing to is is the dukkalakana characteristic of all conditioned things are uh, that they're unsatisfactory. But when it's phrased in an unknowing way, like everything is suffering, that creates an idea of sort of nihilism. There's nothing, there's nothing to do. It's all horrible suffering. But the reason the Buddha points to that is because his realization is that there is something which is, which is not Sankata, it's not conditioned, it's the unconditioned. And so, if you didn't have that, when you use the Lakana teaching, if you didn't have that, you, you wouldn't really have Buddhism, you just have some uh, existential teaching, Kamu or something like that. So because there is the unconditioned, the Buddha points to the condition and says, conditions are all well and good, but if you keep your attention on them, you never realize the unconditioned. You're looking in the wrong place if you want to realize what I have realized. So it's not a, it's not a, like a moral statement against some cars. It's just kind of saying where to actually cast your gaze. So then you have dukkha vedana, and dukkha vedana, because all our Experiences, mental, physical, social, so on, have feeling in them, have unpleasant and pleasant in them. Uh, we tend to be drawn to the pleasant and repelled by the unpleasant, it's very natural. And there's nothing wrong about participating in the pleasant, trying to minimize the unpleasant. The problem is, if that's the only thing we do, we're always looking at sankharas. Our attention is always drawn by sankharas. And so as long as our attention is preoccupied with sankharas, we cannot realize the unconditioned, the asankata, because there's no there's no freedom of attention. It's, it's like it's like a, a traffic jam of sense experiences that don't allow for a, uh, an alternative viewpoint of life. So then, if you take it to the Four Noble Truths, Four Noble Truths is saying that our our um, Infatuation with the pleasant and unpleasant leads to to a kind of craving, which is always trying to get get everything right, trying to get you know, maximize happiness and minimize pain. And again, that's not wrong, and we do that. In fact, we I get an itch in my throat, and I take water, and poor old Beatrice is trying to get comfortable there. <laughs> do you want to use a chair? <laughs> I can, I feel your pain. 
Um, so we, it's not like, you know, uh, we just sit here and endure pain for 20 hours at a time. We, we try to get comfortable. But as we all know, that in sense experience, you, you can't get it right. You get it right a little bit, but you can't get it right. And that would be really frustrating if there was no alternative. Uh, if there was no alternative, then it would be kind of eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Maximize pleasure, minimize pain. But because the Buddha realizes something which is beyond pleasure and pain and is peaceful, an island, a refuge, there is a way of actually working with this conflict that we have, this dukkha that we have as human beings, and being free from it. And so the project is to actually become conscious of the dukkha satcha, or the noble truth of suffering. And that is something we all have, and we experience, and we tend to shy away from it, obviously, because we don't, we don't want it there. We don't like to make it conscious. We don't like to study it. And the Buddhist is saying, well, no, you have to study that. You have to study that inner inner conflicts you experience as a human being. See, why why can't I be at peace with these particular sankharas? What is it about these particular conditions and formations that preoccupy my attention? And it's that preoccupation which is important. That's what's really the problem. And so, what I was saying today. So, if all all sankharas are are uh, unsatisfactory, why do anything? And why put any forth effort? Because it's all, it's all unsatisfactory. And of course, uh, the path to the deathless has factors in it which are helpful for that realization. Even though the, we say it's unconditioned, there are conditions which allow a kind of platform to be created where that can be realized. That's a kind of it seems like a conflict, really, but it's not. And and the way the unconditioned is realized is through awareness of change. When our attention can be sustained on the awareness of change, rather than being caught in that which is changing, our minds begin to not grasp the conditions, not get preoccupied with the conditions, and we begin to sense the peace of non-grasping. And so one way that the unconditioned is talked about is that when, when the mind is freed from greed, hatred, and delusion, that is the unconditioned. So to sustain mindfulness, there are, you know, there, there are good states of mind. There are wholesome states of mind which help you do that, as I was saying earlier. Let's say, and there are unwholesome states of mind, which is it's very hard to be mindful because one's so confused. So, say, monastic life. We come into monastic life and we have certain principles which we're encouraged to constantly practice and, and make strong in the mind. So one is content with little. Or another one is sense restraint, indri samvara. So, say, on a, on, a, on, a, on a retreat, now we're practicing increased sense restraint. Our life is already restrained, but now we're practicing increased sense restraint, so we're not trying to go to the computers or, or to the books and so on. So what sense restraint does is because the mind isn't preoccupied with sense objects in a kind of distracted way, uh, there's more space. 
there's more space available to notice change. If I'm if I'm really kind of absorbed into video games, never played a video game, or things like that, then the mind is no space. So what each of us has to look at, what, what is it about our character which has uh, a certain vibrancy and strength around the wholesome? And what is it about character and conditioning that has a certain, shall we say, weakness or, or fallibility or whatever around unwholesome? And we're, we're trying to not dismiss the unwholesome, but not, not give it weight, not give it energy, not give it fuel. So the unwholesome has a chance, doesn't have a chance to preoccupy our minds. So say, as an example, let's say, remorse and guilt. Okay, remorse is, for me, wholesome, and guilt is unwholesome. Remorse is a, for a necessary part to be a, a moral human being, because if I didn't have remorse, a sense of conscience, I could do things quite hurtful to others, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel it, and it would be all right. So I'd be a kind of sociopath, I guess. But remorse uh, is a very, very healthy state of mind. If, if I say something to you in a very um, arrogant and hurtful and domineering way, and then I go back to my kuti and reflect on it. I say, well, what were you doing? Oh, that, felt, that didn't feel good. And that sense of that didn't feel good is conscience. And, and that, that actually is a compassionate consideration, isn't it? It's a kind of connection to your, your life, your pain, your, your humanity. And I'm saying, well, I can't just step on your humanity. It's all right. And so I feel that. I feel that in the heart. If I'm, if I'm very aware of that, I actually enhance compassion. And if I enhance compassion, then those energies of cruelty and putting you down and alienation, those energies are known better. I don't get caught in them. And if I don't get caught in them, then the remorse and guilt and all of that doesn't preoccupy my mind. So, so remorse for me, this is how I use it, <clears throat> remorse is a very wholesome, skillful state of mind. But guilt, guilt, and they're very connected actually. You can take remorse and go into guilt, or you can take remorse and go into compassion. Guilt, for me, is, is self-hatred. And it's, it, and it's driven by thought, driven by ideals, driven by what I should be and what I shouldn't be. And that's very destructive. And it's a preoccupation with sankharas in a very negative way. And it creates a, a mood of mind which is not happy, it's not uplifted. And a mood which is not happy and uplifted, it's very hard to stay with that. So it kind of goes into distractions and, and, and then more thinking in self-hateful ways. So guilt is, is, a, is an unwholesome state of mind. And so when guilt arises, if it's known as a sankhara, if it's known as a, a, a sankhara, what happens? Well, guilt is, is uh, remorse can be very unpleasant, and then remorsely can lead to guilt. And what what happens with me is I feel the remorse, and then I start to think the remorse. Well, I don't do that much anymore, but I used to much more if I feel a sense of remorse. That's a good thing. But I take that, and now I run with it and get attached to the sankharas by thinking 
and thinking is is, is very uh, hateful. You shouldn't have been like that. You shouldn't be like that. You should have done it otherwise. And so the wholesome skids off into the unwholesome. But if if I begin to awaken to the very sense of uh, remorse, and I feel my heart, and it's very, very skillful, and then I see the habits of thought, and the habits of thought are really the fuel and attachment of oh, to the sankara. So I see, I see my mind going into the, you know, terrible states of self-hatred, and I begin to not indulge in that. It's very much an indulgence. It's very much, thinking can be very much indulgent, <laughs> but I refuse to go there. I refuse to pick up those thoughts. It's hard, but by refusing to pick them up, I disarm the unwholesome. I I don't give it fuel. Attachment. Upadana means both fuel and attachment. Attachment is fuel. So in my life then, let's say, there's a woman that once came, this is as an example of wholesome and unwholesome, there's all manner of examples, but a woman once came to Ajahn Sumedho in, in London and... Uh, she had had an abortion some dozen years before, and and she was feeling incredible guilty, you know, really, really beating herself up something rotten. And 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 she said to Ajahn Sumedho, she said, well, "What's my karma? What's my karma for this? You know, what will happen to me in the future?" And he said, "Well, your karma is you're just feeling guilty." You see, he said, "Don't go there. Go to compassion." Which is really a very simple way of, of liberating her from that. It was, took some persuasion uh, because she had so much taken that experience and then perceived it as negative and then ran with that negativity for a long, long, long time that she was stuck in a cycle of, of guilt. So whatever, you know, whatever that is, whatever abortion is, at that moment... She was she was uh, suffering because of attachment to sankaras. So for for the you know what is what is really wholesome in our lives, there's a lot of wholesome states we could think about. But the realms of the Brahma Viharas are 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 the kind of emotional wholesomeness which sustain the ability to stay present to the way things are because they're quite open and happy states. And the realms of the Brahma Viharas are like, they are like realms or like colors of consciousness. Just as you can, you can go into a room which is colored blue, or you can go into a room which is colored yellow. Uh, both of those colors affect you, you know, affect you psychologically. The same, same with the uh, the Brahma Viharas. They are they are realms of 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 human consciousness, which are very important to try to cultivate, remember, and enter into. And so goodwill is the bottom, the kind of fundamental one. And, and, and you, can, you can see in your mind, when, when you are abiding with goodwill around your own bodily conditions, around mental conditions, around your social situation, when you can abide as goodwill, it's very uplifting. You, 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 can, you can stay in the present moment, because the present moment has a certain pleasure to it. And that's a wholesome pleasure. Pleasure, you know, and I could just say if you're 
you're in a queue with with a bunch um, like one of these airport queues that you get caught into where there's like a million pieces of luggage and a hundred people and one person at the desk. You know, it looks like whoa, it looks like a refugee camp here. What's going on? So just goodwill to everyone. Like just looking at everyone. Oh, you're going through the same thing as me, aren't you? Oh wow, you look really stressed. And, oh yeah, that looking with a kind of gaze of goodwill at everyone, it's actually not a bad experience. Whereas kind of being averse and all of that, it's a very unpleasant experience and it's harder to be mindful. You can't be mindful. You're just going to caught in aversion and when's the line going to go? So goodwill sustains awareness. Goodwill helps awareness. The same with uh, compassion. Compassion as opposed to cruelty. Cruelty obsesses the mind, wanting to hurt someone or wanting revenge. But compassion frees the mind from that and is a happy state. Compassion is a happy state. And not, not happiness in terms of ice cream cones, but in terms of emotional tone. Mudita, like the sense of empathy for someone else's goodness, someone else's smile, uh, someone else's beauty, someone else's skills, uh, someone else's success. Uh, just entering into that with, a, with an open heart and say, ah, good on you. Nice one. It's joy, isn't it? It's, it's you kind of it's a very easy joy to cash in on. Because people have happiness, people have goodness. Whereas opposed to oh, sour grapes or, or not even noticing, not noticing other people, being self-absorbed and all that. Uh, can't be mindful, hard to be mindful. And in equanimity, Upeka, the fourth of the Brahma-viharas, is entry into the coolness of mind which is non-reactive, to, pre- to the pleasant and unpleasant. And that's very, very lovely, very lovely. So the Brahma-viharas are, are, are you could say, the kind of emotional tones of life. And uh, they, they can be developed, they can be encouraged, they can be made stronger. And then the, the jealousies and angers and, and uh, self-hatreds that we get caught up into, we don't have to feel those. We still have to live them, you know, we still... If, like this, this uh, poor woman who was suffering from the guilt, um, she would still have to deal with the, with the, the habit, the memory first of all, and then the habit. But if she was mindful, she could she could see that as a sankara. So what happens with say goodwill and awareness? Then the mind um, isn't caught in craving. It doesn't need anything. Like a mind which is really imbued with goodwill and uh, awake and present to the way it does it's not a needy mind you know it's not a mind which then uh, is so much influenced by craving and something that isn't influenced by craving then can see some cars as, as they are uh, arising and ceasing arising and ceasing arising and ceasing and holding one's attention in that way on on change on on uh, unreliability holding one's attention aloof from that addiction to sankaras or attachment to sankaras, holding the mind aloof for long, long periods of time is part of a retreat, part of our life, really. And that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to become angels who never experience uh, negative emotions, but rather be Buddhas who who know the changing nature of, of the emotional world. But any time you feel, you feel goodwill, recognize that and say, this is goodwill. 
recognize that as wholesome and skillful, or any time you feel impulses of generosity, make them strong. Oh, this is generosity. It's a joyous state. You feel uh, gratitude. And gratitude, that's a wholesome state. Make gratitude strong. Do things to encourage gratitude. So all those, some, you know, all that kind of uh, intentionality creates a, a, a momentum of heartfelt goodness, which is very supportive for the practice. Very, very supportive. Now, goodwill itself is a sankara. Compassion is a sankara, because they're still emotions. So they're not reliable, but they're not bad. You, can't, you, 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 can, you can use them, but that's not really the goal. It's the method. So the wholesome states of mind, uh, making them strong, and the abandoning unwholesome is not the goal, it's the method. And that's important, because if you thought it was the goal, then each time you didn't feel compassion and goodwill, you think, oh, I have to get that back. I have to get that back, because that's the goal. It's not the goal, because the goal is non-grasping, non-attachment. So even if you feel really crummy and, and grumpy and angry, uh, you can know that, and you can know that with goodwill. And that's the beginning of goodwill. It's actually uh, opening mind to something which normally you try to get rid of. And you say, well, that's all right, too. So it's a welcoming attitude. And that very attitude is goodwill in the middle of negativity. So right in the middle of negativity, it's a chance to, to have an attitude of goodwill. And these, the Brahma Viharas, are obviously they strongly manifest in the chest. So I find uh, going to the center of the chest as a, as a place of abiding is very helpful. And encouraging that, noticing that. And then the meditation becomes a, a much, much easier. It's no longer a struggle, you know, me with my breath, uh, fighting my breath. But it's more like a welcoming openness to the breath or to the object of meditation. So I think that's enough. I'll leave that for reflection. Andamiyang tamakata satu karang tatamase. Sadu, sadu.